0: This episode of The Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your great idea into reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com manliness for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. You've probably read or heard about the benefits of meditation, but you've probably, like a lot of people, never given it a try because it seems a bit too woo-woo. You're not alone. My guest today used to be a skeptic himself, but after falling into drug use and suffering a nervous breakdown on national television, he gave meditation a try and found that it made him calmer and more resilient. He's now on a mission to make meditation approachable for the masses, no meditation pillow required. His name is Dan Harris. He's a news reporter at ABC and you can see him on the Show Nightline. He's also the author of the books 10% happier and meditation for fidgety skeptics. Today on the show, Dan shares a story of his nervous breakdown in front of millions of people and how that led him to meditation. He then takes us through the latest research on the benefits of meditation, including the way it reduces depression and anxiety. Dan and I then discuss some of the myths that people have about meditation, such as the idea it takes a lot of time, requires you to sit on a pillow, and will cause you to lose your edge. We end our podcast with Dan taking us through a one-minute guided meditation, which will give you a nice moment of practical zen. Whether you're on your way to work. Or just sit in your office. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash meditation. All right. Dan Harris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you are the co-anchor of ABC's Nightline. You do weekend editions of Good Morning America, and in your spare time, you've become a uh, meditation advocate. So how did this happen? Because, you know, I, I think of TV journalists, hard charging, you've probably done, have you done war stuff or yes. correspondence. correspondent? Okay. So yes. you've done that like type A, how did, how did you become this advocate for meditation and being mindful and, and quieting the mind?
1: Well, the war stuff is actually part of it. I spent a lot of time after 9-11, I'm dating myself now because I'm, I'm I'm almost almost 47, but when 9/11 happened, I was actually reasonably young. I was, I think, I was 30 years old, and I was very ambitious and single and just pretty new to ABC News at that time, and really just leapt into the fray and spent a lot of time in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and then the Second Intifada happened in Israel, so I was in the West Bank and Gaza, and uh, then then Iraq happened, and I was there six times, and. I, in the middle of that, got depressed and didn't actually know I was depressed. And then then I did this, this dumb thing that I've talked about quite a bit publicly now. But for those who haven't heard it before, I started to use recreational drugs, including cocaine, and that produced a panic attack on live television in 2004 on Good Morning America. I was the news reader that morning. I was the guy who comes on and reads the headlines of the morning at the top of each hour, and I was in the middle of my little shtick, and I just lost the capacity to breathe or speak. And that was really embarrassing. And then I went to a doctor afterwards, who it was an expert in panic, and he's trying to figure out what happened. And uh, he asked me whether I do drugs, and I said yeah, and I told him it was pretty intermittent. It wasn't like oh, I wasn't high on the air, and it would, I wasn't high. It wasn't like I, I often point out that. It wasn't like the Wolf of Wall Street, where they're pounding quaaludes every minute. Um, but it was enough, according to the doctor, to raise the level of adrenaline in my brain and make it more likely for me to have a panic attack. And that moment of realizing what what an idiot I'd been kind of set me off on a journey that I talked about extensively in my first book, and I won't I won't bore you with it now. But the punchline is it ultimately led me to meditation. And, you know, I, I I had no interest in meditation. I thought it was bullshit. But what changed my mind was the science. There's all this science that suggests it's, it can rewire key parts of your brain having to do with focus and self-awareness and compassion. And that it can lower your blood pressure and help your immune system. And so that really got me interested. And and I, I kind of had this entrepreneurial feeling. You know, you and I were chatting before we started rolling about the entrepreneurial feeling you had in law school that, you know, uh, all of the publications, the, the men's publications weren't speaking to you. And I was at, at this point in like 2009, reading a lot of stuff about meditation. And it always felt like there was a little pan flute playing playing in the background. And, It was just, you know, I mean, it was it was very smart and I've now become very close friends with a lot of these people. But it's it's a little annoying. And then it's it's written, I think, for, you know, baby boomers and hippie people who, you know, had exposure to the hippie generation. And I, you know, came up in the age of, you know, punk rock and indie rock and generation X and nihilistic sarcasm. And and I I wanted something that was more embarrassing and, you know, like told more embarrassing stories about what it's like inside. Any human mind. And so that's why I wrote my first book, 10% Happier. And then I followed it up with a much more sort of how to oriented book called uh, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics.
0: So I'm curious, was there a person you encountered that introduced you to the science of meditation? Or were you like researching something for a story you were doing? Like, how did that, how did you go from like, okay, meditation is for these baby boomers, like, you know, ponytail? Guys wearing Birkenstocks to oh, there's this can actually benefit me. So like, what what was it that caused you to actually look into that as a as a a, look at the science of it?
1: Well, there were a few people. I can't remember the exact order of operations now, but so I had read a book by a guy who I'm going to say I'm going to talk about him. I'm not necessarily recommending him per se, but out of sheer happenstance, for a variety of reasons that we don't need to go into now, I ended up reading a book. By a self help guru named Eckhart Tolle, who some of your listeners will have heard of. He's a really successful self help guru. And I thought the book was, at least at first blush, like incredibly ridiculous. And but but as I was continuing to read it, and again, this I had no at this point meditation wasn't on my radar in any way. I was reading the book largely because I was thinking about doing a story on this guy because he's so popular. And he started talking about this notion that we all have a voice in our heads. And, and and he's not referring to schizophrenia or any mental illness. He's just talking about the human condition, that we have this nonstop conversation in our heads all the time, a voice that chases you out of bed in the morning and is just yammering at you all day long. It's just blah, blah, blah all the time, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, instead of focusing on what's happening right now, criticizing people or criticizing yourself, wanting stuff, judging Just this nonstop nattering, and Atoli's argument is when you're unaware of it, it owns you. It's and that was a very powerful thing for me because I realized, yeah, that's definitely true for me. And this idea of the voice in the head really explained my panic attack because it was because of my ego, my inner voice, that I went off to war zones without thinking about the consequences, and then I came home and got depressed and. Didn't even know I was depressed and then did a very dumb thing by you know, reaching for recreational drugs. And so that was really powerful, but it totally did not have any advice for that I could discern for dealing with the voice in the head. And so I started looking around. At first, I looked in some very unfruitful places. I don't even know if that's a word, but in places that were not fruitful, like self-help. And then I ultimately, my wife gave me a book by a shrink in New York City named Dr. Mark Epstein, who wrote about, he writes beautiful books about the overlap between psychology and Buddhism. And, and I realized that all the stuff I liked the most in Eckhart Tolle had been taken from somebody known as the Buddha. And, and that the Buddha actually did have practical advice, which was meditation. And at first I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. So next. And then I, I don't, it might've been just Google. Well, I actually met Mark Epstein. I called him up and said, Will you have a beer with me. And we became friends. We're still very good friends. And, and he, maybe he pointed it out to me. Maybe I Googled it, but I realized that there was this explosion of scientific research that had at that point had not gotten a lot of press attention. And so I then started to cover that stuff and I made friends with it the preeminent neuroscientist who's really looked into this, his name is Dr. Richie Davidson, Richard Davidson. He goes by Richie. He's at the University of Wisconsin. And he's done all many of the most, you know, sort of prominent studies on what meditation does to the brain. And so I started reporting on that. And in that process, I I just started to do it. And I realized that it wasn't hippie nonsense, that it is exercise for your brain. And that it has all of these benefits. And then, in fact, then I started to learn that all these really impressive people in C-suites, you know, executive suites and athletes and entertainers and all these really sort of high performing people have been embracing the practice. And e- even in the military, because it, it, the benefits are becoming clear. And so then I really started to think, OK, there's something I can do here, which is to ho- hopefully make the practice more attractive to people who would otherwise just reject it.
0: So I mean, you mentioned some of the benefits uh, in the beginning, but like, flesh them out. Like, what what are the what does the research say that meditation does to our brain and to our overall? I mean, even physical health.
1: Yeah, and I'll, this will be slightly repetitive, but I'll flesh it out. It reduces the release of. I mean, this is there's just a a really long list. Actually, before I get into that, let me just step back and just say one thing, which is that the science is you know science moves slowly, and it and it kind of moves if you're paying attention in a in a sort of one step forward, two steps back kind of way, because it's basically science is an argument taking place in public because scientists in different labs are doing different kinds of research under different theories, and they're trying to prove their points, and then other people try to replicate their points to see if they're full of shit or whatever. And so you got to be careful. I've really learned, and my wife is a scientist, my parents are scientists. I was not good enough at math to be a scientist, but I have a lot of respect for it, and I, I've i tried to learn not to overhype the science around meditation. Because at times, people in my position talk about it in ways I think are irresponsible. So I just want to issue that caveat. But that being said, the research is really impressive. And um, so it's been shown to reduce, reduce the release of the stress hormone cortisol, which is linked to all sorts of, you know, stress is a killer. It's been shown to reduce blood pressure. It's been shown to boost your immune system. So they've shown that, you know, short daily doses of meditation can make you less likely to get sick been shown to have a uh, salutary effect on things like irritable bowel syndrome and psoriasis, both of which are linked to stress. It's been shown to help with ADHD. One of the areas where it's the strongest, uh, the research is the strongest, is anxiety and depression, both of which I've dealt with since I was a child. So that, that's a really big deal. And then I would say that we get into the neuroscience, and it's just fascinating. It shows that it, 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 it changes the structure of your brain. You know it, it's this science has has actually overturned a long-lived piece of dogma in the medical community. It was received wisdom for generations. It was in textbooks that the brain doesn't change after age twenty five or something in thereabouts. In fact, what this research has shown is that the brain is always changing. It is it's been called the organ of experience. So it changes based on what you do. So if you start practicing violin, Certain areas of your brain are going to change in response, having to do with manual dexterity and other things. Meditation is a, a systematic way to change key areas of your brain. So focus is a big one. This is an area where the research is reasonably strong. It's been shown that you can through this daily exercise and we can talk about what it is. But, but very briefly, most in its simplest sense, meditation is just paying attention and then every time you get distracted, You start again and again and again. So usually you just pay attention to the feeling of your breath coming in and going out, and then your mind's going to mutiny on you, and you'll start thinking all these random thoughts, and that's totally fine. The whole game is just to notice you've become distracted and, and start again and again and again. And this daily kind of mental bicep curl changes the area of the brain associated with focus. Another study that shows that short daily doses of meditation literally grows the gray matter in the area of the brain, the areas of the brain associated with self-awareness and with compassion, and it shrinks the gray matter in the area associated with stress. So we're talking about physical changes on the level of your brain. Another interesting one, since you, you asked me to geek out, is a study that shows that it, 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 it changes the default mode for our brain. So there's a network of brain regions called the default mode. So when if, if, if you if I was to stop talking and we would agree to sit in silence for a minute, the odds are one or both of our brains would go into what's called the default mode, which is thinking about yourself thinking worrying about stuff, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. this is where the mind and the, uh, goes when we like are just defaulting to our baseline and and then you can see this in the brain scan you can see the default mode activating. Well, when people are meditating, the default mode actually goes quiet. And really interestingly, experienced meditators actually are seeing much less activation in the default mode, even when they are not meditating. So in other words, their lives change. What is your life? Your life is whatever is happening in your mind right now. That is your life. You're mostly not paying attention to it. But if, and so therefore, if your default mode is like most humans, much of your life Is just this nonstop, mostly negative yammering internally. That can change. And see, to me, this is the animating insight of the whole thing, which is that we think that our traits, our attributes, our psychological attributes are factory setting that cannot be changed, that we are born with a certain amount of patience, compassion, calm, focus gratitude, whatever, all the things that we want. You know, we may think we want actual things, but what do the things give us? They give us mental states. They make us feel happy or excited or fulfilled or connected or whatever. So at the end of the day, what we really want are positive mental states. All of these positive mental states actually are not factory settings. They are skills that you can train. The mind is susceptible to training. And that is what meditation is. It's not sitting on a mountaintop with loincloth and the wind blowing through your hair, the way it's been presented, what I call as part of what I call the worst marketing campaign for anything ever. We've been sold a bill of goods when it comes to meditation. And that robs us of this of our birthright, which is to take responsibility for the nature of our mind. And so I I stumbled across all of this. I did not set out to be a self-help guru or whatever the hell I am. Um, but, but this is really important stuff and it's the best story I've ever covered. So I, uh, talk about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that was the big, that, that that flipped the switch for me on meditation is thinking of it as like dead. I, I, I barbell train. So I think of like, okay, when I meditate, it's like deadlifts for my brain. I'm exercising my brain. Yes. Um, all right. Well, I mean, what I, what you do in this uh, book, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, it's your second book. It's a how-to book. But you, what I love about you, you lay out the most common you know, hurdles or excuses people give for not meditating. Well, before we get to that, let's talk about this. What exactly are you what kind of meditation are you talking about? Because there's lots of meditation out there. There's yeah. there's uh transcendental meditation, which I think is the one that a lot of people like think of because like that's the when they like, you know, do the um or like they say a word over and over again. <laughs> there's mindfulness meditation, there's loving kindness or self-compassion meditation. So like what is it that you're talking
1: about when you talk about meditation? Yeah. That's a great clarifying question. So the, Richie Davidson likes to say that he's the neuroscientist. Um, that, that The word meditation is a bit like the word sports. So, you know, badminton and water polo don't have a lot in common. So when you use the word meditation generically, you can be referring to any number of things, some of them completely ridiculous, and most of your listeners would never want to do them. When I talk about meditation, I'm talking about mindfulness meditation, which is actually derived from Buddhism. But it is stripped of any metaphysical claims or religious lingo, and it's taught in a secular context, in corporations, in the military, in schools, all over the place. And within my, there is a, so mindfulness meditation is, the beginning instruction is mostly just to pay attention to the feeling of your breath coming in and going out. And then you're going to get distracted a million times. And then you just, the whole game is just to notice you've become distracted and to start again. And again, and again, there is a, you refer to loving kindness, which is kind of an annoying word. Uh, we, we try to reframe that as friendliness. In other words, to train the ability to kind of have an overall friendly attitude toward yourself and others, which is really, you know, actually a much more congenial way to go through life. That is often taught as a, and we teach it as a, um, cause it's also a Buddhist practice. It's also been secularized the way mindfulness has. And they're taught in conjunction, I think, and in a very powerful way, because as it turns out, there's a really deeply self-interested case for not being an asshole. And when you can reduce your asshole quotient, when you can be nicer to yourself and to others, that changes the nature of your inner weather. And, and that makes for a better atmosphere for, well, happiness generally, but also for mindfulness meditation. So these these two practices, where you learn how to kind of calm the mind, focus the mind, and become more self aware, that that would be mindfulness. Twinned with friendliness, where you train yourself, and I can tell you how to do it. It's it's a little bit annoying, but actually, there's a lot of science that shows that it's very good for you. Where you when you twin these two practices, it, that is, I think where the sweet spot comes. And so, just because we're on it loving kindness meditation or friendliness meditation, whatever the hell you want to call it is. And it's, this is going to sound incredibly annoying to people and and you're not wrong to think it. It basically asks you to envision. Usually you start with yourself. You envision yourself and then you say these uh, little phrases, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you, may you live with ease. And then you go to a next person. Usually it's a mentor and then you go to a A close friend, which could be a human or an animal. I have a cat on my lap right now. You could, and then you go to somebody you don't really pay attention to, often referred to as a neutral person that you overlook. And then you go to a difficult person, and then you go to everybody. And I have referred to this exercise as Valentine's Day with a knife to your throat. It really is annoying. However, there is a significant amount of science that shows it has very serious health benefits and that it can change behavior. And, I, you know, I, I like to point out, like, what is it like in that moment when you do a small act of kindness? Like, if you hold the door open for somebody on your way into a building or out of a room or whatever, if you're paying attention, what does that feel like? It feels good. And that feeling is infinitely scalable and trainable. And that is what you're doing in this exercise. So, those, those are the two things we teach. Just to answer your question about transcendental meditation, that is a that is derived from Hinduism, as opposed to Buddhism, and it is it involves a mantra, which is a word you repeat to yourself silently. And I think there's plenty of evidence that it's really good for you, and I have no beef with it. But it's not what we teach. It's just a different kind of meditation. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, going back to the benefits of. Uh, self-compassion or compassion meditation they found that like it actually showing having self-compassion actually boosts success than like mm-hmm. being hard on yourself right like yeah it's you know, like I, I suck i'm never gonna like like it, cutting yourself some slack can actually help you do better yes. whatever you're trying to do
1: this is this is so counterintuitive for for me and i think for a lot of people because most of us feel that the internal cattle prod is what get is is the source of any success that we're achieving and as it turns out it is possible to have high standards but to not be so self-lacerating so self-flagellating so self-critical that you actually reduce your ability to recover after inevitable setbacks you know you can, nobody is perfect a and b you're not in control man the universe is characterized by entropy and impermanence, and like you can work as hard as you want on your podcast or your YouTube channel, or whatever it is, and for exogenous forces way outside of your control can ruin the thing. And you need to be resilient in the face of this. And your inner weather, your inner dialogue, the way you talk to yourself, is a huge part of this. And so this training actually boosts your ability to do it. It doesn't. You're not telling yourself, "Hey, sit on the couch and eat ice cream in perpetuity." You're just saying, "Hey, you. Yes, you do need to work hard." But when there are setbacks, you don't need to like crush yourself for it.
0: Right? It's not pity. It's not self pity. It's no right. There's a difference. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get into these hurdles here. The one hurdle you often hear people say is, "Well, I I just don't have time for that." Right? Like I've got kids, I got my career, I've got stuff after my job that I have to do. How do I make time for sitting on a cushion and uh, thinking about my breath?
1: Yeah, I I have a lot of sympathy for that. I get it. We're busy and. We, I think, the perception of time starvation is even more prominent now because of technology. I'm not anti technology, by the way, but but I think one of the downsides of technology is that we feel besieged. So I have a lot of sympathy for this. And uh, I, my little shtick is that I have good news, and then I have even better news. The good news is that I think five to ten minutes a day is a great meditation habit. And while we don't, while the science has not yet answered. Everybody wants to know what's the least I can do to derive <laughs> the advertised benefits. And science has not answered that question, but I have spoken to many scientists. And the, the sense I get is that five to 10 minutes a day would be a great way to get many of the benefits. And you can always scale from there if you want. The, the better news is that I, I actually believe one minute daily-ish counts. You know, if you did one a minute most days, you would get a lot of the benefits. The two most prominent are: one is just this—the the ability to stay on task, to you know notice when the mind has wandered and bring it back. But the bigger one is mindfulness, which is you could call it self awareness—the skill of knowing what's happening in your head right now without getting carried away by it. And it's this mindlessness, the unself awareness that leads us to do all the stupid shit we do. It's why you find yourself with your hand in the fridge when you're not hungry or you're checking your email in the middle of a conversation with somebody else or you're sending an inappropriate email or making a comment that ruins the next 48 hours of your marriage, whatever. That's all because you're just carried away by your emotions, you're yanked around. And meditation throws you up against this inner conversation. As soon as you sit and try to focus on one thing, your breath, you're going to see how crazy you are because all these thoughts are going to rush into your head, motions, random factoids from your childhood, whatever. And seeing that is the game. That is the important thing because it gives you more of a leg up for when you're ambushed by anger or whatever during your daily life and you're, you're better able not to get carried away. We're
0: going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Audiobooks are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, running, road tripping, enjoying downtime, outdoors, and more. And with the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, Audible lets you fill the summer with lots of audiobooks and lots of books. I actually did this, took a road trip to New Mexico Earlier this summer. And along the way, I'd listened to the Bruce Lee biography. And we had um, Matthew Polly on the podcast. That's, I had, I was like in the car eight hours both ways. I knocked that book out and was able to get ready for the podcast just by listening to it. It was fantastic. I love Audible also to download books. I can listen with my kids. We listen to The Trumpeter of the Swan, Charlotte's Web, The Hobbit. It's fantastic. Better to, pass your time in the car when you're with your kids listening to books instead of listening to whatever on the radio. So, as an Audible member, you'll get credit every month that's good for any audiobook regardless of price. Unused credits roll over to the next month, and if you didn't like your audiobook, you can exchange it no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. Go back and re-listen anytime even if you cancel your membership. Better yet, you can switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off whether it's on your phone through your car from a tablet or at home on Amazon Echo. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Just go to audible.com/manliness or text Manliness to 500, 500. That's audible. A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash manliness or text manliness to five zero zero five 500. zero zero. It's 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. Also by Squarespace, take it for me. I've created lots of websites. And if you don't know what you're doing, and you're trying to start a website, you and you're trying to code it yourself, you're gonna break your site over and over again. You miss one backslash or one one letter, everything gets broken. It's frustrating. Or you can hire a web designer, but if you don't have the cash, that's not going to be possible for you as well. With Squarespace, you can create a great looking website, get it up and running in minutes and just design it, customize it however you want with just the point and click of your mouse. They've got beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks. Squarespace also has a powerful e-commerce functionality. that lets you sell anything online and analytics help you grow your site in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Buying a domain is simple. You'll get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. Squarespace empowers millions of people from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms to turn their great ideas into something real. Head to squarespace.com manliness right now for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com slash manliness, offer code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And now back to the show. All right, so five minutes. Everyone's got five minutes. Instead of scrolling through Instagram you can meditate for five minutes. Just think about your breath for five minutes.
1: Yeah, you know, I really like what you just said because I'm not, I go through Instagram, but I think it's, it. you know, one of the things you see when you start to have a little bit more self-awareness is at some point, Instagram goes from being kind of a fun little diversion to maybe sparking FOMO or making you think that your life is insufficiently curated or you don't have enough money or, or you're just doing it for reasons you don't even understand and you're just sucked into a hole and it's like you're, whatever. I actually think that you can do both. You know, you may use that as a trigger to say, oh, you know, I've done this for a couple of minutes, but now that I'm on my phone, let me use an app to meditate. So I, I think in there there are lots of ways to create habits and that 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 may be one of them. I mentioned apps. There are lots of really good meditation apps. I'm obviously partial to mine, which is called 10% Happier. But but I, I do love the fact that the, this industry has grown up to use to sort of co-opt the phone, which is the engine of our distraction and often misery, and use it to teach you how to do, you know, what it, what can be kryptonite for the aforementioned unhappiness.
0: All right, so time is not an excuse. You don't need to do very much meditation. Five, 10 minutes. Okay, what about, this yes. is one that my wife brought up. It's like, what do you do to people, what do you say to people who think it's just really boring <laughs> to, to sit there? So, I mean, what what's, how do you get people over that hurdle?
1: So, boring is just another thing to notice. What we're doing in meditation is really just getting a sense of what our actual life is about and getting a sense of how rapidly thoughts come and go and how powerfully emotions take us over. And boredom is just one of those emotions. And so the antidote to that is to get curious about it. Like, what is this? What kind of thoughts are accompanied by boredom? How does it show up in my body? Like, is my Do I get a dull feeling in my head? Uh, and then when that boredom hits you in the middle of a conversation with your elderly aunt or in the middle of work, you're not so busy to ignore your aunt and be unkind or pull yourself away from the task that you actually need to get done and reflexively go check Twitter. You actually are surfing your emotions as opposed to being, uh, as opposed to drowning in them. And so boredom is, is one thing. Anger is another sadness is another, all of these emotions that for guys, we don't like to talk about, I'm not big on talking about emotions, but I think we can all admit it's an incontrovertible fact that we have them. And when we're unwilling to sort of become a connoisseur of our neuroses, they own us. And then they, they dominate how we show up in relationships. They dominate how we show up at work. They dominate in how we perform. Uh, in our work and so boredom is a very powerful force and it's gotten more prominent in an era when at any given moment you can conquer boredom on your phone and i think it's worth looking at your life it's like how how constructive is that for you and if you actually boosted your ability to be curious to pay attention how much more effective would you be
0: all right so lean into the boredom like actually just yes. observe it okay it's fine that's what interesting. We do in
1: meditation that's what we do in meditation. Sorry, I, I apologize. No, you're talking fine. over you, but but you got me excited. What we do in meditation is this counterintuitive thing. When we're overtake, so we're sitting there paying attention to our breath. We're not actually just a slight direction, correction. We're not actually thinking about our breath. We're doing this counterintuitive thing of just feeling it—the raw data of the physical sensations, feeling the belly rising and falling—and then we're we're carried away. We're off very quickly. Half a breath in, some thought comes ac- along. And then you notice you become distracted and you start again and again and again. But if you get ambushed or overtaken by a powerful emotion, boredom, sadness, anger, then the move is to investigate and to see, you know, what kind of thoughts accompany this? How is it, you know, what does it feel like in my body? You know, when I'm overtaken by this emotion and that, and that curiosity boosts your familiarity with what an emotion is like. And then in how does that show up in real life? What's the point? Uh, You'll be having a conversation with your wife. She'll say something that annoys you. And then 10% of the time, instead of just being on a hair trigger and saying something that you're going to pay for for years, you might actually understand how anger shows up in your body. What kind of thoughts is your face getting red? Is your chest buzzing? Whatever. And then you're able to note, it's like having an inner uh, meteorologist who sees the 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 storm before it makes landfall and then you are able to respond wisely to the situation instead of reacting blindly and that's one of the big things we talk about all the time respond not react and that's what this does for you
0: well here's another i think hurdle that people encounter with meditation is that you know we're goal oriented beings, right? We have dopamine that makes us want to achieve things, go after things. And we need to see like progress, right? Like, I, what I love about barbell training is I can see that I, if I put in the work, the effort, I can add weight to the bar. Is there like a metric like that with meditation? Like, how do you know you're progressing, right? And making yes. progress? So, what? Because a lot of people, if they say, oh, I'm just not seeing any benefit, I'm just going to stop. So, how do you stop that from happening?
1: Well, I think I think it's a great question. I feel the same way. I think we're heading toward a universe where you'll have neurofeedback where you'll actually start to see, you know, you'll you'll start to be able to measure your brain activity in real time and then then you'll really get answers. But in some ways, that's actually <laughs> for anybody who's done and stuck with meditation more than say a month, all of this stuff becomes a little laughable because you don't you may start meditating because you you get a brain scan that shows you that your brain is changing or you know you're performing better on some sort of neurofeedback test but you, that is not what will keep you meditating what keeps you meditating is cuz you're less of an assault to yourself and others and and that is what changes your life and at that point whatever a neurofeedback thing tells you doesn't make a difference because it it's irrelevant and so what i see as the tipping point for people in terms of establishing this habit is starting to see that they're responding not reacting in their actual life and that actually whatever their experience on the cushion is is irrelevant in many ways for many of us myself included still 9 years into meditating i can ha- i can sit down and meditate and be utterly distracted Th- that is not the measure the med- you're not meditating to become a better meditator you're becoming you're meditating to become better at your life And that is why we do this thing. And so I don't know anybody, or I know I can only think of one person, and I've been in this game for a while, who has meditated more than a few weeks at a time. Who has said, "I'm not seeing any benefit. I'm out." I've never, I just haven't seen it in nature. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You may have listeners who are raising their hand right now or pounding their steering wheel, saying, "No, I'm that person." And to you, I apologize. But I've had this, I've had this standing challenge. Since I wrote my first book f- four and a half years ago, and I've said this, try meditation for a month. And if you feel like it's bullshit, send me a note on Twitter and tell me I'm a moron. People tell me I'm a moron on Twitter all the time, but never for that. And so I, I feel really confident that a if you make a commitment for, to do this for a few weeks, that you, the, the measurement issue will evaporate because you will notice that in the middle of conversations where once you would have taken it to 11 that you're no longer doing it as much you will still do it you will not be perfect that is not on the table here imperturbability and perfection are not on the table here but gradual 10 percent improvement which compounds over time like any good investment that is on the table and that is really exciting
0: well another hurdle you talk about too is some people think well i'm not going to meditate because it's going to make me lose my edge. And I think one of the examples that was given is like, if I become too chill because of meditation, am I going to become like Rocky and Rocky three yes. and I get beat up by Mr. Was it Mr. T? Was that, that was the one where he gets beat up. <laughs> yes, by Mr. it T, was. Right. So, I mean, yeah. is, does meditation cause you to lose that edge and sort of like, you know, like that drive that you have that you want to just go after things?
1: I worried about this for years because I really believe that, you know, I have this expression that was, this motto that was handed down to me by my father, who was an academic physician in, in Boston, his, his his theory is, the price of security is insecurity, which is a great thing to tell your child. But <laughs> I really believe that. I still believe it, to be honest with you, that, that you have to work really hard, and a certain amount of worrying and plotting and planning is part of the deal. But, that, it's inescapable. The question is, how far are you going to take it? and what are the ramifications and at some point the rending of garments and gnashing of teeth is actually counterproductive and what meditation helps you do is to boost your self-awareness so that you can see when you've crossed the line from what i from you you know from what i call constructive anguish you know useful worrying into useless rumination which just reduces your Effectiveness reduces your resiliency, makes you unpleasant, uh, damages your relationships. Um, so I am not arguing for uh, what might be described as complacency. That's that that is that's different from what I'm arguing for, which is a kind of a sort of higher order happiness, um, which is more complicated than you know, just being blissed out and blank.
0: Um, okay. So I, I, I got you. So, I mean, and you highlight that, um, you know, even there's the military is exploring meditation for this purpose that it, I mean, instead of like blunting the edge, it actually find like sharpens it even more because of the the awareness that you build up through meditation.
1: Do you think if you were more focused and less yanked around by random emotions that you'd be better or worse at your job?
0: Better for sure.
1: Yeah. So that's what we're doing here.
0: I like that. All right, another hurdle people have is uh, you know meditation looks self indulgent. I think there was actually an Onion headline about this, like like uh, mindful a hole is even more of an a hole since he started meditating.
1: And he lectures everybody, <laughs> right? Uh,
0: so what what about that uh, that hurdle that it just looks like oh you're just 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 self indulgent.
1: Okay. Well, I think there are two issues here. I loved that onion piece and I can't remember the headline. So there are t- two issues. One is, is just sitting there, you know, f- feeling your breath coming in and going out totally s- navel gazing, self-centered, self-indulgent. And I mean, I think you could take it too far and it, it would become that if you were neglecting your responsibilities. But, uh, you know, the, the cliche that often gets thrown around, which I which I like actually, is the airline safety instructions. They always say, put your own oxygen mask on first. So if you want to be a useful person in the world, it's very hard to do so if you're a mess. And so a few minutes of mental exercise is roughly akin to the hour or so that many of us spend in the gym. Is that self-indulgent? No, because your kids need you to be healthy. Your wife needs you to be healthy. You're happier when you're fit, and it makes you a better person. So by the same token, a few minutes of doing the barbells for your brain, I don't think is self-indulgent. Now, again, you could take it too far. Speaking of too far, the Onion article speaks to, I think, a related issue, which is that are you going to become very preachy and annoying? That is a real danger because people, and I think for the best of intentions, get they start meditating. They start seeing... That they're responding instead of reacting, and it's v- it's a very exciting feeling the first time you start to notice that showing up in a in a uh, you know in a stress test in the crucible of work or your relationships, and then you start telling everybody about it. I would recommend strongly that you not do that because it's incredibly annoying <laughs> and it's preachy. You're basically saying to people you're broken. That's the way it, the message is received, and so I always talk about the the. I love this article, this um, cartoon that ran in the New Yorker that had these two women having lunch. And one of them says to the other, I've been gluten free for a week and I'm already annoying. And I, that is what happens with meditation. And so I just recommend extreme caution. I love, of course, when people recommend my book or my app or my podcast or whatever to somebody else, I think I I love that. And so I have have to tread carefully here because I don't want to like step on my own you know what in order to uh you know to help people here but i i do think you need to be very careful in how you recommend this practice to others and i think there are two modalities one i think is to just talk about what it's done for you if it comes up naturally my rule is i actually never talk about meditation unless somebody asks and the other modality which i think is the more successful one is you know just just let people come to you 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 I think most of us, if we start to meditate, we will start showing up differently in or the various areas of our life. Eventually, somebody's going to ask you, you know, and I think you can just very simply say, "Yeah, I started meditating, and it's been—it's made a big difference." I kind of leave it at that because I think the excitement is off-putting for people, and this is a lot of people really resist meditation for for many for a whole variety of reasons, some of them quite profound. And so, I think you just want to be—you know—there's th- nothing more intimate than the mind. We, we can talk about sex in ways that are actually pretty comfortable to talk about because it you know it's we've you know reduced it to cliche or we're talking about other people or just we have a pretty coarse culture these days whatever but but the mind is like really where the game is played and so I think you know it, it's a, it's a fraught freighted area and I think you just want to step gingerly
0: and going back to this idea that it's it's actually not self-indulgent to meditate I mean I'm sure your wife Really appreciates that you started meditating because I'm sure you're less of a hair trigger. She doesn't have to walk on eggshells around you anymore as much, maybe. So, yeah, it it actually was great for your relationship.
1: Yes, yes, it's, but it's not perfect. You know, uh, I retain the capacity to be a schmuck in all sorts of ways. As an aside, you know, I'm working on a new book right now about kindness, which is, I think, a, a really interesting concept because it's hard to talk about kindness in it without being incredibly annoying. And so I want to call it the self-interested case for not being an asshole, because actually there, there there's a ton of research that shows that kind, compassionate people are healthier, happier, and more successful at work, and and they have better relationships. And And as part of this project, I did what's called a 360 review. Some of you may know what it is. Some of your listeners may know what it is. I actually did, wasn't familiar with it, but it's this incredibly intense thing where you hire a firm and they interview a dozen, maybe more people in your life, personal life and professional life off the record anonymously, and they can say whatever the hell they want about you. And then they write up a report and you read it. And two days ago, I read mine and it was brutal. And I've been meditating for nine years and I am still a schmuck in many, many ways. And so you are not, I mean, it was super, super humbling and so, w- w- you are going to, this is not going to solve all of your problems. And that's why I called the first book 10% Happier. That's why my app is called 10% Happier because I'm counter programming, I think, against some of the sort of irresponsible people in the self help world who are peddling, you know, snake oil.
0: Well, um, where can people go to learn more about the book and the app and what you're doing?
1: I think the one stop shopping is 10%Happier.com where you can get the app. I mean, the app's available, you know, Google Play and the uh, Apple app store and you could do it there too uh, the podcast is everywhere you get podcasts books are wherever you get books but uh, one-stop shopping would be 10 happier.com and uh yeah
0: awesome well so if you're up for, if you're game for it dan would you be game for like guidance through like a one minute meditation like giving totally. letting people know like what what it's like giving it a taste yeah okay yeah,
1: yeah. Let's, let's so it. i would i would just say if you're driving listen to this and don't do it but listen to it because it'll you can do it on your own later it's it's not complicated the cliche is that it's simple but not easy so it's actually hard but it's not it's not rocket science. so for anybody who's not driving the first step is to assume the position which does not have to be (laughs) cross-legged on the floor or anything like that you can you can sit in a chair you can if you're on a subway you can sit on the subway wherever you're sitting is fine you can sprawl yourself out on the ground too it's totally fine too and if you even if you're standing up it's fine so wherever you're sitting or standing it's totally cool the second is close your eyes if you're in a place where you don't want to close your eyes if you're on a subway and you actually would prefer to just kind of gaze neutrally at, uh, and softly at us at a spot on the ground that's totally that's cool too then you you can be an incognito meditator so either close your eyes or just kind of dim them And then bring your full attention to the feeling of your breath coming in and going out. You know, pick one spot, like your nose, your chest, or your belly. And you're not thinking about the breath, but you're just like, as I said earlier, feeling the raw data of the physical sensations. Rising of the belly. Falling of the belly. It might help, I find it very useful, to use a little mental note of in and out. And then as soon as you start to do this, you are you will notice very quickly that you get distracted. You hear some background noises, like there was a big car horn that just honked outside of my building, or you start thinking about what you, what's for lunch, what do I have to do today, where did gerbils run wild, whatever. And the whole game is just to notice when you have become distracted and to start again. And again, and again, and again. This is like a golf game with a million mulligan's. <laughs> That's awesome, that's and the, that's and that's that. it. That's it.
0: Okay, all right. So yeah, I'm gonna. I, I was actually doing a little bit. Then I heard the the car horn in in your in the building. But no, it was great. Well, hey Dan, thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, great questions. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: My guest today was Dan Harris. He's the author of the books 10% Happier and Meditation for Vigidity Skeptics. They're both available on Amazon.com. You can also find out more information about 10% Happier at 10%Happier.com. And you can even try the app free for seven days. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is/slash meditation, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you want to check out the rest of our archives of the podcast, make sure to go to artofmanliness.com slash podcast. See all 400 plus there. As always, thank you for continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.